I'm Andy Irwin, and this is The Storytellers. Coming up on today's episode of The Storytellers, uh, I'm, you know, this guy is one of my heroes, and uh, he's one of the titans of kind of faith in mainstream film and media. Uh, you know, I think he's just represented himself in so many ways, whether it's as a producer, uh, as a best-selling author, as a speaker, uh, as, you know, a, a, a personality online that people are seeing, like on television, different things like that, and now uh, as an actor. So this guy uh, has had a huge impact on our career over the years on multiple fronts. So you know him from his films like Miracles from Heaven uh, and uh, in movies like uh, Flaming Hot. Uh, you also know him uh, as an actor from both Woodlawn and most recently Jesus Revolution. Would you please welcome my good friend, Devon Franklin. Today's a big day. We've got Devon Franklin on the show, The Storytellers. Welcome to the Storytellers, my friend. Oh, my brother. Thank you for having me, man. Honored to be here. Man, uh, you've always been the one to chase for us. You know, uh, when we uh, when we first got started, I know, you know, we, we're only like about five, five months apart in age, but I've always kind of looked up to you because <laughs> like when we were getting started, you were, uh, you know, a vice president at Columbia Pictures. And we would always, you know, there was a couple of times where we come on the lot and I just remember stepping into your office like i was sweating profusely i was so nervous i was like <laughs> i was like i was like i remember i was talking to my brother john on the uh, outside the door and i'm like this is the big time like we're stepping into devon franklin's <laughs> office and like that was a big moment for us and you were always like super kind and kind of mm. shared like good advice and we were you know kind of still green and trying to get our feet under us what was it like being on the other side of the desk, you know, when you were like an executive at the studio and having these filmmakers come in like that? I, I really had an open door policy. Yeah, uh, I think Sony probably would have been upset if they knew how many of these meetings that I took. But I felt like, you know, I was in that position for a reason. And so, you know, I was I was grateful, uh, especially to meet you all. Cause I think at that point in time, you all had done October Baby. Yeah, yeah, we just done um, the first movie. That was better. Yeah, had done the first movie, and I think you had, you had, I think you had even like a sizzle for Woodlawn or something. Yeah, like yeah we that. shot, we had shot a, a sizzle, and we came in and showed you, and you had like a lot of really good pointers on like kind of the story that we needed to tell. Yeah, and, uh, so we showed you the sizzle, and then like you's like, okay, you got some work to do. It's good, <laughs> it's good. But what story are you really wanting to tell? And we're yeah, like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, so being on the other side of the desk was. It was, you know, it was great. And I just remember, you know, you and John just, you know, always just being such visionaries. And and even though I may have had notes on, you know, the Woodlawn Sizzle, I mean, the quality of it was was phenomenal. And it just spoke to the quality of you all as filmmakers and writers and, and storytellers. Uh, so for me, it was it was a joy to be able to have the conversations that we have and to be able to, you know, didn't even realize then the type of relationship we would ultimately um, be starting, you know, a brotherhood that we started mm -hmm. in that moment. So I, I was grateful. Yeah. I, the thing I, I love about you is, I mean, you're a communicator. So you, you know, you're a producer, you're, you're now an actor, uh, <laughs> you're a, you're, you're an author, you know, you're a speaker, you, but at the heart of it, you're a communicator. And it kind of, that started with you as like, you know, as a preacher, like you preached your first sermon when you were like, what, 15? 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Winds of Love 
Maranatha Ministries in Oakland, California on uh, 70th and MacArthur in Oakland, in East Oakland, California, which is, uh, you know, a pretty um, uh, rough neighborhood yeah. and that's where my uncle planted the church. And when I was 15, it was the second youth day that the church had done because the church started when I was nine. Um, but the youth program didn't really start until years later. And so for the first first youth day, my older brother, uh, Ray, he preached. Right, right, right. And then so because I was the next in line, they came to me and said, you know, OK, it's, it, you know, we're doing youth day. We want you to preach. And so I was like, OK. And, you know, at that time, I was reading the book um, Live Your Dreams by the legend, legendary Les Brown, who is just one of the greatest motivational speakers to ever do it. And yeah. I remember, you know, like using the Bible and using his book as the foundation for that first sermon. And, uh, you know, I did it and the response was beyond anything I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And everybody was like, wow, you know, you need to preach and you need to go into ministry. And I was like, listen, I'm going into movies. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. I said, well, listen, I'm running real fast. <laughs> so, well, with that, like, you know, you knowing so clearly that God had called you to entertainment, like, you know, you're like, I can preach but I'm called to entertainment. But when you started sharing this idea that you have this dream, was there any nervousness in the church that, hey, this is where you're wanting to go? It's like, it's kind of a little bit of the devil's playground type thing. Or was it like, you know, did they, uh, did they get what you were trying to do? Uh, you know, it was a lot of, you know, the devil's playground and Sodom and Gomorrah and, you know, and are you sure? And um, yeah, I mean, there were some that were supportive, but in general, you know, I think people were, were very hesitant, like, OK, you know, are you going to lose your faith? Are you really going to be able to do this? And so for me, I was always just, I, you know, going back to why I was so passionate about entertainment. I just remember, you know, my father died when I was nine years old of a yep. heart attack when he was 36. Wow. And um, the majority of my life, most of my memories of him are when he was uh, he was inebriated. You know, he was an alcoholic for most of my life until the very end, right before he passed away, he um, got sober. And so coming out of that, that same year that my father died was the year that my uncle started Wings of Love. Right. And so it was an interesting combination of ministry and then also watching movies and television yeah. shows that kind of became therapy to a degree. So, you know, movies like uh, Rocky and Back to the Future and yeah. uh, The Color Purple, you know, these were, you know, films, I mean, TV shows like The Cosby Show, A Different World. Um, these were shows that I really just entertainment. I just really connected to. And yeah. so at that age, I just got really curious about like, OK, well, who's making these movies? Where does it come from? How does Hollywood work? Whenever we would come to L.A., I would say, oh, I always wanted I always wanted to go to Universal Studios to take the mm -hmm. tour. Yeah. And so it was just it was always just one of those things that I just said, wow, I just am passionate about entertainment, the, the lights, camera, action, you know, that just yeah. felt like, oh, no, that's where I'm supposed to be. I got to go try that. So it was really just following what I felt. Hmm. And uh, and that and me feeling that way had a lot to do with the role that entertainment played in helping me navigate the death of my father. It can be a little bit paralyzing at first when you're just like, OK, where do I even start? You know, like especially when you're outside of the industry, like when you're coming from the Bay Area in a, in a rough neighborhood and you're trying to figure out like, where do I even start? You know, we felt a little bit of that coming from Birmingham, Alabama, where it's just like, 
we would tell people our dreams and that we wanted to make movies and people were like, yeah, that's cute. But like, you know, what are you really going to do to earn a yeah, living? Yeah, get a real job. Yeah, get a real job. And I'd be like, yeah, no, it's, it's you know, where did you even start? So did you just to start decide like film school, that idea with USC or what did you, what was your goal? Yeah, well, you know, I've always, you know, when I'm passionate about something, I always, you know, do the research and right. immerse myself in whatever I'm passionate about to better understand it. And so I was a student of, of entertainment and student of the business. And, and so, you know, I knew like, oh, okay, if I really want to do this, I need to be in LA. I knew that. Yeah. Um, and then for me to be in LA, I was like, I need to go to college in LA. Okay, great. And then at that time, and I think even to this day, you know, the USC film school is the best film school on the planet. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I need to get into USC film school. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I like business. So why don't I do a business major, a film minor? Yeah. And then I real because I had done the research on the business, I knew that I needed an internship. I knew mm -hmm. that I needed to get real life experience in the business. Yeah. I couldn't just rely on USC to teach me something theoretical, mm -hmm. you know, about business or about entertainment. I needed a practical experience. And the beauty of that is that my one in my sophomore freshman, sophomore year, I played basketball for mm -hmm. my high school team. And then between sophomore and junior year, I got a my aunt bought me a car. And the stipulation for me getting the car was I had to pay for my car insurance. So in order for me to pay for my car insurance, I had to get an after school job. So I stopped playing basketball my junior and senior year, and I took an after-school job at a nonprofit organization in downtown Oakland. Now, cut to me being at USC freshman mm -hmm. year looking for an internship. The executive director of that nonprofit was college roommates with the writer who wrote Set It Off. Man. Yeah, and so Set It Off was like a really big yeah. movie, you know, around that time. And so, you know, I went in, met with that writer. He's the one that said, hey, you should get an internship at this company called Handprint Entertainment. They manage Will Smith. They manage uh, Babyface. They manage, you know, Michelle and Deggie Ocello. So I went in, interviewed with them. They gave me the internship. And so I did that freshman year. I did a full, you know, class load. I did a work study job at the USC <laughs> Hillel Jewish Center. And I did my internship. And that a combination of those things became what I did in part throughout my entire college uh, career. Well, you look at something like that. And the cool thing is, it's like, you know, a lot of times when we feel like, you know, our plans, the door closes and you look back at it and you look at the the right door that God was directing you to, uh, you know, it's like, I'm always thankful. Like, oh my, if I'd gone the, the way I wanted, like, like <laughs> yeah. this, this and this wouldn't have happened. That's right. you end up uh you know at this company that represents will smith see growing up i was um i was a huge fresh prince fan not sure i mean of the tv show that was fine i mean i would watch it here and there but i was a fan of him as a rapper right you know and he for dj jazzy jeff and fresh yep. prince and and they had a owl they had a, an album at the time he's the dj i'm the rapper and i remember yep. and i would listen to that and on that album there was a song that was like a night about Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger. Mm -hmm. And they had done a video to that song. And yep. then New Line came out and said, you can't release this video because you don't have any rights to do this. Mm -hmm. So I remember once I got a chance to meet him, I asked him about the video. 
<laughs> and I asked him about that experience. And so he gave me his point of view and why they had to, you know, shelve it and all that kind of stuff. And that began our relationship. Wow. And the other part that began the re- that started the relationship was when I came into that internship, my first day, they gave me no assignment. So they literally like put me up in the file room in the back. And so I was like, man, I better figure something out. So I just started, you know, saying, all right, well, let me revamp these files. The filing system is a mess. Let me go to the assistants and ask them what they need filed. What do you need faxed? And so I just started making myself useful and and looking for ways to be of service. And that is something that got on Will's radar, you know, like, oh, wow, who's this intern? And, you know, I keep hearing all these things about this intern that's really great. And so you know, it was the service and the curiosity <laughs> that really allowed me to build a relationship with him. And then I became, I was an assistant. I was, you know, I was an intern freshman and sophomore year. My junior year, uh, Will and his then manager, James Lasseter, started a company called Overbrook Entertainment. Yep. They had a deal with Universal Pictures at the time. I became their first uh, intern. And then I interned my junior, senior year. And when I graduated, I became the assistant to Will Smith's uh, manager, and his producing partner, James Lasseter. That's fascinating. You know, just all the all the steps there. And I just think, you know, there's something to be said about just do, having the discipline instead of going for, hey, what are you going to do for me? Having that service mindset that's relationship-driven. Like, it's a lost art form. Like, people that they go for the relationship first, you know, eventually there is a moment in time where that becomes beneficial to yourself. But that idea of being service-minded of what does this other person need first, it's just a lost art form. Like absolutely. That's fantastic. It really, that. it really is, man. And, and also it's a loss, it's lost in this generation. Yeah. I, or, you know, it's 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 getting becoming lost because in my experience, a lot of times, you know, people want something, they want to yep. harvest from a field they haven't planted in. Yep. And uh, and and they want people to put them on or give them opportunities. That uh, for me, you know, no one gave me anything. Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to show what I could do. Um, and when I once I showed what I could do through the mindset of service, that's when more opportunities were given. But nobody like just gave me an opportunity because it's like, oh, you know, you're you're divine. Like, no, it's like your work, your service, your heart of service your contribution, you know, your, your, your selflessness, even at 18, 19 years old. Cause I learned that from, from the church. I learned that from my okay. uncle that was essential. And I think yep. that in this day and age, it's, if people are looking to be successful, it all starts with service, yep. you know, wherever you are, whatever your situation is at the end of the day, there's no one on this planet that has a job in some way and is not in service to someone. Yep. The president of the United States is in service to to the American people. You know, Elon Musk is in yep. service to his to, to his, uh, his shareholders. Everyone's in service, and the better of ser- the better quality of service that we provide, I think, directly correlates to the impact that we can have. Totally, and I think also the idea that as a filmmaker, you're in service to your audience. That's you right. know, so the filmmakers that they go out and they just do something indulgent just for themselves. Uh, you have a very limited window of of success unless they consider like who's my audience and who That's am right. I here to serve? What do they want to see? How do I make sure they have a a great experience? So the filmmakers that have a lasting shelf life are the ones that they really see it as a service oriented job, not an indulgent art form. I think absolutely. And so I I think that's with with 
once you started working at, at Overbrook and started spending time around Will, what are some of the things that you learned? Like, I've always respected Will's work ethic. Like, yeah. he, you know, he very easily could have coasted as the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and just been like, I'm a sitcom star and had his moment in the sun. But he was working his butt off to become a, a movie star while he was that. And then he be- worked his butt off to become a producer. Like, what are some of the things you wor- you learned in proximity to Will and during those years at Overbrook? Um, yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot. I mean, you know, one of the things that he would talk about, um, because I, I also remember my senior year at USC, uh, even though I was a business major, I was in entrepreneurship. Um, it was an emphasis in entrepreneurship. Right. And, uh, and as part of that, you know, program, I had to do, you know, a report on an aspect of entertainment that I was really passionate about. And so I chose Will and got a chance to interview him for that project. And, you know, one of the things that I remember him telling me is that, you know, it's not about necessarily how hard you work. You know, everybody, you know, can work hard for a moment. You know, it's about how long can you work, you know? And he was like, so often people you know, can work hard, but then they fatigue. But can you stay committed? Can you, you know, run the course? Can you stay the course? Uh, The other thing that he would teach me is that, um, you know, when it came to relationships and it came to entertainment, you know, so often with entertainment or people, you know, we're looking like, okay, how can I make it quickly? You know, and his thing was like, you know, take, take your time, you know, be patient. Uh, And then he also said, you know, that last distance, uh, let's say wherever it is you're trying to get or whatever you're trying to be in that moment. He said, uh, you know, that last distance is always the hardest and uh, wow. it's excruciating, but it is going to require everything in you to to be able to do it. And also the other thing about Will, you know, beyond just verbally the things that he shared with me, you know, just being around him uh, and being able to soak up so much from him, yeah. you know, a lot of what I took from him was like really being an ambassador of hope and goodwill Mm. because that's really what he was and that's who he still is. And just the way that he would, you know, be even being in the office, I would see him in the office. I mean, you know, I would see him when in ways that nobody else would see him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was always, you know, positive, always, you know, joking, always, you know, the life of the party, always had something positive to say, always had a listening, uh, you know, would lend his ear to hear what they need. And so I took that. I was like, oh, wow, you know, be an ambassador of hope, be an ambassador of goodwill, you know, facilitate meaningful experiences with people, uh, you know, look people in the eye, give them a moment, say hello. Like all that stuff is stuff that I gleaned from him uh, in addition to the things that he shared with me verbally. You know, I just, you know, I always love getting in proximity to somebody like that, that has, you know, has done the work and then just kind of gleaning just kind of those character traits that drive them and trying to understand not what they do, but how they think. That's right. Um, that's always super fascinating for, you know, for you, like you spent time at Overbrook and then, you know, I had read that there was a period of time in the early two thousands where you, you almost were about ready to hang it up mm-hmm. uh, that you came to a place of almost saying, maybe, maybe this isn't going to work out. What was that moment for you? Like that kind of dark night of the soul of like, I don't know if this is going to happen for me. I've been around it, but you know, as far as finding my voice, what was that moment yeah. for you? Yeah. So for me, that moment was, so I, that was in, in two, 
2002, if I remember correctly, it was 2002. Yes. Yeah. So I, at that point in time, had been, yeah, it was, yeah, that was 2002. Wow. Yeah. I had been with, you know, Will and that whole, you know, camp for six years almost. Wow. Uh, four years as an intern and then going on my second year as an assistant. And when I took the job as uh, James Lasseter's assistant, I was promised that within a year I would get promoted to become a junior executive in the film department because I was already doing that kind of work. Sure. Um, and they were like, look, why don't you just be this assistant, you know, for a year and then we'll promote you. And I was like, great. So, um, you know, a year came and went. And that didn't happen for a variety of reasons. And one day uh, they ended up letting go of the entire film department. There were about three executives, wow. let them all go, including their support staff. And they brought in one executive who was more senior, who had an assistant and that executive ran the film department. And then I pretty much knew once they made that level of a change, I knew that I wasn't probably going to get the promotion that I was promised. Yeah. So. You know, after months and months and months of not getting the promotion, you know, at that time, because I was so focused on entertainment and I, I put so much into this business and all the sacrifices while I was in college, you know, a lot of times I wouldn't go party because I was working, you know, yeah. I, I'd be, I would be working late at the internship. You know, sometimes I'd be at the internship till 12, one o'clock in the morning, Wow, just working, putting in the time. Dude, and man. I wouldn't go out. I wouldn't hang out. I wouldn't go to a lot of the college games. So I felt like I had sacrificed so much for this position. And so when it dawned on me that this was not going to happen, I started to lose hope. I started to lose faith because I could only see my future through the lens of that opportunity, that opportunity being the promotion. <laughs> so after months and months and months of, of me not knowing what to do about that, you know, I really in that in those in that period of time, I was upset because I was like, man, I've given up all of this for this career. And now it looks like it's pretty much at a dead end because I'm like, look, I've been an assist. I, I am an assistant, but I can't be an assistant for the rest of my life. You know, I've got to be able to move forward if I want to if I'm going to make it in this business. So after months of coming in the office to press, there was one day I just got fed up. I just was like, man, I'm tired of this. I came in, <laughs> turned on my computer and uh, I was like, you know what? I'm, I can't do it. So I went to the bathroom and I went to the stall and uh, got it, went in the stall, shut the door. And then me and God had it out. I was like, look, <laughs> you know, you said that you would, uh, you know, open up <laughs> the windows of heaven and pour me out a blessing. Uh, you also said that anything I asked for in the name of Jesus that you would do. So <laughs> I said, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you must move on this job today, today. Wow. So I left the bathroom later on that night. Uh, it was just me and my boss that were there and my boss called me in his office and he was like, um, listen, you know, Will and I, we love you. We wish we could promote you, but we can't. So we want to help you find a new job. Wow. So at first I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Prayer worked. But then I was like, wait a minute. They want to help me find a new job. What? Like that means my job is not going to be mine much longer. So I was I was I was I was grateful that God heard my prayer, but I was also uh, now anxious, but I'm like, okay, wait, I got to hurry up and find a job. So I'm, you know, made list after list and, and interview after interview. He sent out emails, resume, all that. Nothing happened. I went to Will's and said, Will, can you give me a meeting with your agents? I sat down with his agents at CAA. 
you know, Richard Lovin at the time, Ken Stovitz. And they were like, OK, great. We'll get behind you. They set some meetings for me. No job. And it wasn't until I heard this message from T.D. Jakes called Turn the Page. <laughs> and he talked about how at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses died <laughs> and the Israelites were mourning. But when you turn the page to Joshua, God tells, you know, Joshua, hey, and the Israelites, your morning time is up. It's time to get up and go into the promised land. And uh, he equated that with life, wow. that at the end of one chapter, you know, you might be mourning, but you got to turn the page and keep going. Well said. And so I went in, uh, that was on a Friday night. It was a good Friday. He came to L.A. to preach. And um, uh, I went in on Monday and I put in my two week notice. And they were like, Devon, well, where, do you have a job? I'm like, no. And they were like, well, why are you leaving? I said, well, you know, I can't I'm turn the page. <laughs> right. I'm turning the page. Exactly. You know, and I can't tell you faith works if I'm afraid to try it. And, um, you know, those two weeks I was really praying that God would give me a job in the two weeks. And and he didn't, you know, and so I ended up leaving uh, unemployed. And um, on that first day of unemployment, I didn't I when I tell you I had no plan, I had no plan, none. All I knew was that the job was done at working at that working, you know, for will at that point in time. I was like, OK, I've done all I can do and it's time to go. But I didn't know what was next. And by the end of the day of that first day of unemployment, true story, I got called from another production company run by Tracy Edmonds. And uh, she did the movie Soul Food in the series Soul Food. And at the time she was married to Babyface. And she, um, her head of film called me and said, Devon, we want to offer you, you know, a job as a junior executive in our film department. Do you want it? And I said, yes. You know, and that was the beginning of my, you know, ex the executive chapter of my, uh, of my career. And that executive chapter, I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's the frustration uh, of the patience it takes to kind of let life catch up to where you know you're supposed to be. <laughs> right, you know, right. it's like it's like you feel like God's put on your heart a purpose and something that you're supposed to be, but nobody else has gotten the memo yet. That's right. And and having to have the patience and the humility and the self worth, and then the courage to have that moment to let go of the boat and swim, be like, if I drown, I drown, but I'm I'm going for it. <laughs> yeah. And there's just something about that, um, you know, of, of waiting for your moment and then just saying, hey, I'm I'm going to go for it because I know who I am, even if nobody else does. That's right. And that's 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 awesome about your story with, you know, eventually that ascent in the executive world ended up being a vice president at Columbia Pictures, did some amazing movies. Long yep. story short, it was Amy Pascal who was running Sony. Got it. And around that time, she she convinced Will and James to move Overbrook to Sony. And so, then your world kind of collided. Yeah, that's right. So so that was the irony. Like when I quit working for Will, you know, that was it. Like, I, I mean, it was great. Because even though I quit, I still had him as a mentor. Yep. So he, you know, I, whenever I would need advice or ever I would need, you know, clarity or understanding about, about the business or insight, he would always provide. It. So it was ironic that when I got Sony, they had to deal with, with Will. I mean, and so I had nothing to do with it. And then the greater irony was that the first movie that I worked on for Sony was Pursuit of Happiness. Wow. Suit of Happiness was, you know, the story took place in the Bay Area. We shot in the Bay Area. We shot down the street in some scenes from where I from where I did my high school, you know, after school job. And and Pursuit of Happiness was really what kind of launched my entree into, you know, I would say faith based filmmaking, so to speak. 
Hmm. Because it wasn't that we thought Pursuit of Happiness was a faith movie um, at all. Once we saw the first cut, and I saw it. And it's a brilliant film. Yeah, it really is, man. I mean, it just, it's one of my all-time favorites, even having, even having worked on it. And um, once I saw the first cut of the film, I was so emotional about it because I said, wow, as a person of faith, this movie is really inspiring me. It's really improving my faith. And so I said, you know, why don't we take this message of produced by faith to the church? And uh, and I did not know, you know, I was a, I was a, my current my title at the time was like creative executive. So in the world of, of film executives, creative executive, you're at the bottom. So it's like creative exec, it goes director of development, vice president, senior vice president, executive vice president, president, then chairman or chairperson. And I was the creative executive on Pursuit of Happiness. And I put together like a 40 to 45 page marketing campaign and publicity campaign on how to take the message of the film to the church community and said, OK, here's what I need to build to do. Here are the ministers that we should get on board. And they said, okay, go do it. And so, you know, I called up T.D. Jakes and, you know, got Will to, to do an appearance at Megafest that year. And, and then, you know, started working on him doing these personalized greetings to all the top pastors in the top 10 to 12 markets. And, you know, and then we did a faith-based trailer that I went down to the AV place and cut myself, you know, with, with the audiovisual guy. So it, I didn't understand that, you know, I was kind of like, you know, just like engineering this kind of mainstream, you know, faith approach that we all, you know, rely upon now. And the movie was successful. It, yeah. that domestically, the movie made almost as much as Casino Royale that year, <laughs> which is incredible. the James Bond movie. That's and, incredible. you know, Will attributed, uh, you know, a lot of that to the faith campaign and the vision that I had around that movie. And that was really the foundation and the beginning of, you know, me doing what I do as a as an executive and then now as a filmmaker. I just find it like so cool to, um, you know, it's 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 awesome to hear kind of our history of what yeah. faith film has become mm -hmm. because there's several of us that have had moments of impact along the way that we all started out in proximity in some way to each other. You, yeah. you know, there's some of us that had a little bit of a head start and had already made the impact and we kind of joined up, but we, we were all in those early days where we were trying to figure out what is, you know, what is this thing, you know, this kind of faith, faith kind of meets film kind of idea, you know, um, seeing what you know what it's grown into like now like you know for you it starts with pursuit of happiness for us kind of our moment of impact was with i can only imagine but each of us have had these moments that we've kind of have been hard fought and hard earned where it's it's moved the needle a little bit and then you've gone on to do your own stuff um what's your what's your what's your kind of viewpoint on what faith film what you've seen faith film start as and what it's become as far as the genre and audience, yeah, you know, um, you know, I think in terms of the the origins of it, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think when you look at the films that were successful, you know, you go back to um, Facing the Giants and uh, 
And um, what was the first movie they did? I mean, after that, Black, the movie that uh, is courageous. No, no, it was before. It was um, fire, fire, fireproof. Fireproof. There we that go. One. Yes. Okay. Yep. So you look at fireproof. Um, you know, you look at Son of God. Um, you know, there were just some movies in those early days that had kind of taken off. The thing about those films, and there were even others that I just can't recall in the moment. But the thing about those films, even Pursuit of Happiness is that the intent was not about a faith-based business. Mm -hmm. It was about telling a story that whichever filmmakers were responsible were, were passionate about. You know, I mean, when you guys, you know, did October Baby or you did Woodlawn, like it's because that's what you were passionate about. Right. So the, I think the genesis of, of what we now know as the modern, you know, faith-based film genre or business so to speak i think the intention you know also the passion of the christ that's right yeah um, it all dates it, back to that yeah oh yeah that was that was really you know one of the the benchmarks of faith films and from a hollywood perspective in terms of the success of what this audience and what these movies could do my point is that once everybody saw oh there's a business opportunity i think that the faith-based space became inundated yeah. with low quality content, you know, with so many people raising funds independently and yep. make movies and, and no disrespect, you know, saying, oh, well, God told me and that's cool, you know, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know how to make a film and you're not really uh, allowing yourself to learn, think about, you know, and I, I hate to even say this, but there are, I mean, if you look at all of the, the independent financing that has happened in the faith community that's been raised for content, that has never seen the light of day, or if it yep. did, it really didn't have the impact that was designed. I would say, you know, it's probably hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, More. Yeah. that have been raised that we say are for the kingdom, but have been given to content that um, just couldn't go the distance. And so I don't disparage anyone who feels like they have a word from God. I don't disparage anyone who wants to do something for the kingdom. But what I do know is that, um, the business lost itself. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would say even a couple of years ago, you know, being in the faith-based business as a filmmaker was not uh, a, a thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I credit you all, I credit you and your brother, John and your partner, Kevin, because of your success and you all, you know, your deal with Lionsgate and, and the movies you were making you know, being able to make these, you, the films you've made. And then when you look at the success of Jesus revolution, you know, I don't know where we would be if Jesus revolution hadn't happened, because I feel like Jesus revolution was this, the, the rebirth and the restart of the faith film business, you know? And I think you guys being, being visionary to say, we believe in this and we're not going to pivot uh, from, you know, faith films, we're going to continue to make the films that we are passionate about. And that's the, that's the differentiating factor about you all, your, your incredible business men, you make incredible deals, you make movies for a price that look amazing. Yet you're, you do it because you're passionate about the story. Never once have I dealt with you all in the business has driven the decision. Hmm. And I think that's where the faith-based business kind of lost its way for years. Yeah. The business was made was driving the decisions or the business of like, oh, we can make a movie for, you know, this amount and make this and make this. 
versus like, what are the stories that we're passionate yep. about? And how can we tell those stories with the best quality, the best casting, the best production? And I just credit you all for, for really staying in it. You know, I've been in it, you know, but it's like, I've always kind of done, you know, the faith, you know, adjacent. So from even Pursuit of Happiness to, to you know, Miracles from Heaven and Breakthrough, it's like, you know, those have always had faith in it, but it, but it hasn't necessarily, I don't think, been as like hardcore in, a, in, the, in the great way as the films that you all have done. Well, man, I, I appreciate that, D. I, I really do. I, 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 um, I'm humbled by you saying any of that. I, I think that, um, you know, every day we just try to do our best uh, Devon Franklin impression. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, but I think that what really resonates is this idea, like you're talking about, it's about passion meets authenticity. Yeah. And, and so you have to have enough anger and passion to want to try to move the needle to, to yep. redefine, like I'm a person of faith. I want to see myself represented in a way that is, you know, actually what I believe, uh, in a way that's developed as a, a complete human being. And then, you know, having the authenticity to kind of articulate that, you know, so I, I think that, the, the group of us that all kind of have been in proximity to each other, I think the past couple of years has been exciting because you've seen people find their voice in different ways. And so like, like for you, I think you dance that line back and forth between the sacred and the secular, kind of the idea of something that's very mainstream. Yeah. And you've done that well. You work with, you, you interact with mainstream talent better than anybody that I know in the producing world that, that is a person of faith. Like, I just think that you just know how to speak the language and stay authentically you. And um, I've always respected that about you. You float on a red carpet so much better than, than anybody <laughs> in, our, in our camp. Uh, uh, and then you've got, you know, and then, you you know, you, you stepping out of Sony after you had had so much success with films like, you know, Hancock and re rebooting Annie and, you know, doing Heaven is for Real, which also moved the needle as far as mainstream faith. And so you stepping out and finding your voice and then you see Dallas Jenkins, you know, I, I was at NRB when he was, we were launching kingdom and he was outside with this little booth kind of talking about this thing, the chosen. And I'm like, that'll never fly. And then all of a sudden it just completely redefines the idea of doing, yeah. you know, ser series about faith. And then you see somebody like, you know, Alejandro and Eduardo with sound of freedom and, those guys grinding it out for years. You know, I remember seeing Bella when they made it right yes. around when we made October baby. I was like, these guys are so talented and seeing them pay their dues until they have their moment in the sun with, with sound of freedom. So I think the key to it is like you said, not going at faith as a business, but going as an authentic representation of your voice. And I think you have to authentically believe what you're, the stories that you're selling. Yes. And and then be able to find an audience that cares, service them in a way that reaches out maybe beyond them to what we call benevolent skeptics. Those people <laughs> that they're not against it, but they don't know they want it yet. Yeah. And and uh for each person in this space that might have a different shade, you know, for you, I mean doing a movie like doing a movie like Flaming Hot that you did yeah. with, with with Eva Lagoria, like incredible film. Thank but you. It has the principles of faith in there of of, of of believing and of purpose and of finding something bigger than yourself, but you did it in such a mainstream way that it's like, huh, that's authentically divine, but I believe everything in that movie. 
Oh, so, I love that, man. Thank I, you. I think, I think, I think, I don't know if that kind of resonates with kind of what you're trying yeah. to communicate. Yeah, no, it resonates. Uh, it resonates strongly. And I think, you know, the through line with all of those successes that you've mentioned are authenticity and, and a real passion. And I, and I just, my hope and my prayer is that, um, you know, we do better as a faith-based filmmaking community with this new chapter in the reinvigoration of our, of our genre within Hollywood, that we do better this time around than the last time, you yeah. know, that we're, that, that we make higher quality films, that we tell stories that we really connect to, that we continue to, you know, as we do, you know, help each other. You know, it's like, I mean, we, we talk all the time. We share information. We watch cuts of films. We read scripts. Yep. We share ideas. Like, that's how we, as, a, as, a, as filmmakers within this genre, continue to grow and continue yep. to, you know, help, you know, backstop the entire quality of all of it. And uh, so I love, yes, I think what you just said puts what I'm trying to say in perfect context and uh, even takes it a step further. Well, with you, you know, taking that step out of, You've been a successful executive at Sony and decided to kind of, hey, I'm ready to kind of put my stamp on my kind of films. And you step out with Miracles from Heaven. And um, and I think one of the things that you did that was a game changer um, was you were the first one to really say, I can authentically represent my voice of, of faith, but I'm going to go after mainstream talent. And I'm going to make a mainstream movie. And so when you went and recruited Jennifer Garner and Queen Latifah and, you know, a really stellar cast, um, and then the, the, the I want, I'm just curious, like how you, cause you, uh, we followed your playbook for years on how you've interacted with talent and given them a chance to really, uh, connect with a story that is faith and, and kind of taking it from being scary or, or, uh, you know, you know, considered, uh, in a certain light and giving them a, a, a way to speak to it. And I watched what you did with Jennifer Garner. Mm -hmm. on miracles and it was just a master class and how mm -hmm. allowing her to find her voice and not apologize for the movie that she was doing but be proud of it and represent it in a way that was her how did you how how did you figure out how to have that conversation and how did you position that in a way that was able to check both boxes yeah you know um it was just it was divine timing you know once i had the script you know, I knew that, OK, we need somebody who has some crossover appeal and also the ability to 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 be the anchor of that film, you know, because at the end of the day, that film is a is a love letter to mothers. I mean, yep. you know, it's a mother who is fighting for for her uh, for her daughter um, and fighting vigorously for her daughter and vehemently for her for the healing of her daughter. And, um, you know, as we were talking about who could do it the name Jennifer Garner came up and I was like, oh yeah. I said, she would be perfect, you know, because at that time, you know, she was still well known enough, you know, but like in terms of her film career and her TV, you know, acting career, you know, she was not, she wasn't, I, you know, I probably, she probably even say this. Like, I think when you go back and you look at where she was at Miracles from Heaven and where she is now, yeah. you know, I think Miracles from Heaven and the success of it just restarted uh, her acting career in a way that, you know, she just has exploded uh, since then. So we caught her at the right moment where she wanted to do something. She is a person of faith. She had not done explored that in a film. She's a mother. And so when she read the script, she connected to it. And it just so happened at that point in time, she was going through a very difficult, uh, the difficult divorce that she was going through with Ben. And so the movie really became a beacon of hope for her personally. 
and so it was really just divine timing of of the script coming in at the time when she was open to it and she read it, she fell in love with it. And uh, that allowed us to get Queen Latifah and then that allowed us to get Eugenio Derbez. And, you know, next thing you know, the movie is, uh, you know, was was the success that it was, but it was all just, you know, thinking about, okay, what's the best way to put this movie together? And then also who's gonna be the ambassador that mm -hmm. can speak also to the faith community and the mainstream community. And I'm always thinking that way, you know, from a talent standpoint, like, OK, who can do the grassroots, who's willing to do the grassroots, because that takes time, effort and energy uh, and a willingness. And then also who can get booked on mainstream television shows, who can get booked in mainstream media, who can get booked on covers. And so I'm always kind of looking at the combination of that and then whoever fits in the middle. And if they're right for the part, that's who I tend to go after. It definitely changed the playing field, because I think, you know, the idea of getting the church to embrace mainstream talent and to do stories that are mainstream relatable uh, and to find the, the talent that the, the amount of talent that's out there that are people of faith uh, and they do have a deep faith, but they've never, you know, uh, they've never done anything that had faith kind of adjacent to it and, uh, and to kind of, kind of coax them in and allow the audience to accept them. I think miracles from heaven was like a game changing moment. Um, for 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 you know how faith is represented and it's what you know we've been striving to do with what we've gone on to do with you know with Dennis Quaid and Zach yeah. Levi and you know and uh and KJ Appa and different talent like that um and then Kelsey on um uh on G's Revolution what, yep. what what my brother and Brent were able to do with with him and him having a very spiritual changing a spiritually changing moment for himself personally and to go on national tv and talk about that in tears i mean that does wonders for oh my film goodness of yeah. legitimizing oh boy the, the audience you um, got that right so i think it started but i remember for me it was watching jen uh on the tonight show yeah and i i watched her and she told her story about how her daughters had had coaxed her back into the church yeah and she shared that story on the tonight show and i was like this is a game-changing defining moment <laughs> and uh and yeah. to, to, if jen garner can do that and not and not have a, an ounce of shame like it was a very legitimizing moment i think for the for the for the christian audience um Agreed. that I, that i attribute to kind of the vision that you had you know um, for you you know with that idea of being an actor you know uh you i've it's been cool to see you you know your career evolve and you've always been a producer and been behind the scenes as a leader, but to see you kind of, uh, uh, find a love of acting, that's something that <laughs> is really growing. And I, I remember, uh, I remember on Woodlawn when we were casting it and I was just like, it was my brother's idea actually. And we were casting the pastor for Tony's pastor in the film. And John was just like, I have a hunch that Devon Franklin can <laughs> act and wants to act. <laughs> And, and he's like, and I was like, man, he, he's a good looking dude. Like, oh, I was man. like, I was like, I bet you he can. And so, you know, to see like that develop with Jesus revolution. Now you're doing a lot yeah. of it. Like talk to me about like this new passion you have for acting, man. Listen, I, I give you all credit. My entire, you know, burgeoning acting career. It has everything to do with you all being, uh, seeing the vision, giving me the opportunities that uh, have jump-started me into this new 
you know, vertical. And so I remember when you guys called me for Woodlawn and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I said, well, let me read the script. And, oh, it's, you know, he's playing a preacher. Oh, I could play that. I could do that. You know? And I felt like, all right, cool. You know? And I, and I, when, when I did it, I, I enjoyed it. Then once you all called me for Jesus Revolution, that was a little bit more, I was about to tell, um, I think it was Kevin that may have called me at the time. I was about to tell him, well, because he told me what the part was. And he told me, you know, like the part in Jesus Revolution was a, was much, there was dialogue and it was more involved than the part in Woodlawn. Because the part in Woodlawn felt like, okay, I'm playing more version of myself. That's just yeah, take me to church. Yeah. Cool. yeah, I can take you to church. Cool. Um, but Jesus Revolution was a real, you know, part in this guy and this reporter and what he's trying to do. And and he also kind of is the uh, the instigator of this whole story, you know, almost the device mm-hmm. for the story. Yeah. So yeah. because of all that, my initial instinct was I was going to say, well, you guys like now, OK, for real, like I'm not an actor. But mm-hmm. I didn't say that because I, I felt like God was saying, why would you speak against something that I might be speaking for? Wow. Yes. So I said, okay, you know what? Let me read the script. I read the script. I liked it. I said, okay, cool. You guys, I said, you know, let's, you know, make the offer. And, you know, you all made the offer. And then I took it seriously. Like, you know, because I've been around acting since, um, uh, you know, since I was 18, you know, interning for Will. And then I was married to, you know, an actress for 10 years. And so I knew the preparation and the reading of the scripts and breaking down the scripts and learning the lines. I knew all of that. So when it came to, you know, doing Jesus Revolution, it was like, oh, wow, I actually, even though I haven't done it, I, I've already, I know what to do. I, Got I a know. muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I just applied it to me learning this part. And so doing it and then getting the set. And one story that I don't think I've even shared was, which is very interesting, which is I was working with my acting coach and that, that character that I play in Jesus Revolution doesn't have a bio per se. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you don't quite know, you know, he's from New York and he talks about at some point in the movie, the types of stories he's covered, but you don't really know his story. So my, my acting coach was like, listen, you need to write his character bio. So <laughs> I just wrote a character bio and just things that I was connecting to and why I got to where I am and what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff. So I had prepared the script that I was sent prior to production. And I get to set and I start shooting. And then there's one day that I'm there and something says, and this is the day that I was getting ready to shoot, you know, my biggest scene in the movie. And something says, look at the sides that they just put in your trailer. So I look at the sides and the scene has changed. Hmm. It was a dialogue, but then it really became much more of a monologue. And the irony is that some of the very things that I wrote in the character bio were the things that were in the dialogue in the script. No. Yes. And I never had a conversation with Brent. I never had a conversation with John. Never wow. had a conversation with John Gunn. Never. It was just, I was so when I read the new pages, I said, whoa. I said, okay, I can actually do this and I can make this adjustment and relearn uh-huh. this scene because I this is how I've already prepared. So that yes. was a sign, you know, for me that God is with me. And then once I did that scene with Joel Courtney and Kelsey, I just felt like, oh, okay. And what was also funny was, you know, as I'm doing the scenes and I'm there and, you know, all that, some people don't know who I am. They don't know anything about my producing or whatever. And there were so many people that would come up to me and say, wow, you're really great. How long have you been acting? You know, you're a great actor. And I, and I was just laughing on the inside, you know, 
because I, I just say, well, I'm just getting started, you know, cool. Um, and then so doing that, you know, led to another film that I did uh, for BET. And that led to another film I'm getting ready to shoot um, that Sean McNamara, who did Soul Surfer, mm-hmm. is directing. Uh, and that's called On Fire. And uh, it's the biggest role that I've done to date. And that's awesome. It's the, it's the incredible story of John O'Leary, who was a man who was b- burned at nine years old, 100 percent of his body. And, uh, you know, and there was a nurse that was instrumental in his miraculous recovery. And I get a chance to play that nurse. So, you know, long answer to your question, it's just been amazing to see this unfolding. And for me, you know, I don't ever want to be married to an idea of who I am that blocks the revelation of who I really am. You know, because so often we're like, we've had success in one area and we're like, okay, that's who I am. Well, maybe you're more than that. Man. But if we don't embrace the more, we never become the more. So when you guys came to me and said, hey, do you want to be in Jesus Revolution? I said, okay, let me let me embrace that. And now you see God starting to unfold this whole new dynamic to my career. And what I love about it is there's something different. The impact that I can have on people is, is different being in front of that camera. There's mm-hmm. something about it. You know, and so to have the ability to produce films and then now act in films, it's just it blows my mind that God is using all of that for the kingdom in his way. The the exciting thing to see something so unexpected develop. Yeah. And because I, I remember I sat down with you for breakfast a little while back out in L.A. and we're sitting down and we share ideas from time to time. And I was like, man, what are you really passionate about right now? And then you got this twinkle in your eye that I've never seen before. Like you had, and you're just like acting and i'm like <laughs> he's you're like i gotta be honest i am excited about acting oh yeah and that just um you know i it's been exciting to see what god's developing there and i think the other cool thing is you know relationships that in this business that are real relationships they go both ways and yeah, they- so i could list out uh what you've listed out and more of things you've done to impact my career projects that you've given up for yourself and brought to us and said, Hey, this is your voice yeah. and doing it in a way that's unselfish, sharing information behind the scenes so that, you know, we each get the best opportunities in our career, you know, helping perfect and, and tweak ideas that we have to make sure it's right. You know, and it's like this cyclical nature of, you know, being able to, you never know, you know, when a, a snotty nosed kid sitting on the other side of your desk, <laughs> You know, at an office at some yeah. point will be an ally. And yeah. uh, and so because you shared your wisdom in a way that wasn't dismissive when I had nothing really to show for it, uh, just to wow. see how that plays out over, you know, a 15 year period of time uh, has been I mean, it's a God thing. And so I'm excited. <laughs> totally God thing. And well, I'm, one, I'm excited. One thing on that, Andy, uh, is, uh, you know, there's a scripture that says, do not despise the, the day of small beginnings. Mm. And uh, there's also a scripture that says, you know, you were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And, um, you know, when when you're sharing that, it just made me think about, you know, where I was at Sony and then when we first met. And I think sometimes, you know, there's a temptation to say like to look at someone and say, oh, well, you know, you don't have anything to offer me. So I'm not going to engage with you. Um, But in the kingdom, that's not how we can operate. Right. You know, we're being called to be open, to be partners when we can, to listen. Because, again, you never have any idea 
who you're talking to, right? You don't know what seed that person is and what they're going to grow into. And that's not the reason to be open to help, but it's amazing to me that to your point, that the moment that we all met, having no idea what God would do over the course of 15 years, it just, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I do want to communicate that, you know, at Kingdom, we're, uh, we're fans of Devon Franklin. Like you've been a loyal friend, uh, behind the scenes, every bit as much as out in front of the cameras. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you are a man of integrity, you know, in a, in an industry that doesn't have a lot of men of integrity. Uh, you've been consistent and you've walked the path. Uh, you've had that integrity in the way that you've carried yourself, the way that you treat people and the way that you represent what you believe. And, uh, and I, you know, I, you know, every day we do, uh, find a lot of inspiration in the journey that you've, mm. that you've had. Thanks. So Thank you, I'm grateful brother. for that. And I'm grateful that it's just getting started. Yeah. You know, it's just as far as kind of tracing it back to the beginning, just, um, you've mentioned several films that made an early impact on you. What's the first one that you can remember? Like, I remember Steven Spielberg talking about when he watched the greatest show on earth and he watched it and he was like, that's what I want to do. And then he watched Lawrence of Arabia and it almost made him quit. Cause he's like, I'm never going to be able to do something like that. <laughs> right. So for you, early memories what was the first film that like grabbed you and it's like kind of sucked you in you know i would say back to the future huh. you know that that movie i was just i was just in awe of the creativity and the at the time the visual effects and the storytelling like it just it just admit i mean even to this day i can sit and watch back to the future and the other film that I remember was uh, Rocky three, hmm. Rocky three. I That's mean, a great uh, one. yeah, I was super young. I didn't watch Rocky one and two until I was a little bit older, but Rocky right. three and Rocky four, you know, I actually went to the theater to see and um, you know, I just felt so connected to Rocky. You know, I'm the middle child of three boys and uh, I, I always have felt like an underdog uh, hmm. in life and, you know, within my family and, and at school and all that. So seeing Rocky three and, uh, you know, Apollo Creed and Clubber Lane and all that, it just I was like, man, I, got, I have to be a part of this business. I just all these movies are inspiring me and I just love the, the movie making process. And it's a, it's amazing that you can just take something off the page and then it comes to life. And I just it, those were Two movies that really captured captured my imagination. For you, is there a piece of advice that you got from somebody else that you've like carried as like kind of a core thing that you do? My aunt Donna, growing up, would always say, uh, "Never burn a bridge because you never know when you have to cross it again." And as I've navigated entertainment and even been in difficult situations with difficult people, uh, what I also learned as kind of an addendum to that is. People don't remember how you started. They only remember how you finished. Well said. And so for me, even when I've had to leave difficult situations or situations didn't work out, I've always ended well. I've always kept the bridge intact. And that has served me extremely well in my career. Um, opportunities that have presented themselves relationships where, you know, in one season it, it didn't bear fruit, but, you know, see in another season it did by not burning bridges and by ending well, mm -hmm. that has been, uh, that advice is something that I have carried with me, um, from that, the, that day to this. And it, and I would highly recommend anyone listening to this or watching this 
would take that to heart. You know, in well, don't it's not about how you start. Anybody can have a fast start. But do you have a quality finish? Well said. I mean, I, and, I, and I can attest to that because like even, you know, this business, this conflict is part of the thing. And even when inadvertently, uh, you know, I've stepped on your toes or there's been things that have happened. You've always come directly to me and be like, hey, bro, let's work this out. And you've yeah. always you've yeah. always just done it with class instead of just throwing away the relationship. You've always been like, <laughs> let's work through it. And yeah. uh, there's then that's part of your integrity. I love it. Well, Thank Devon, I, I um, I'm excited to consider you a storyteller that I admire. And uh, it's just a treat to have you on the show to kind of talk through your journey. It's an inspiration, bro. Thank you, man. Likewise, my brother, you, you're an inspiration. I'm glad you're doing this. Uh, I cannot wait to watch the other episodes. This is phenomenal, man. And it's always good talking with you and seeing you. All right, dude, we appreciate you. We'll talk soon. All right, brother. I think one of the things that Devon talked about that really spoke to me is the idea of never burning a bridge and it being about relationships in the business. And to see many times in his career where he could have um, burned the bridge and he could have reacted to the, the, the hand that he was dealt, uh, whether it was when he had to kind of restart and find a new, a new job and he had to leave that job, or when he decided to leave uh, being behind the desk as an executive and become a producer, uh, each step along the way as he's taken a new chapter and kind of you know, define something new about what he wants to chase. He's never done it at the expense of his relationships. And to kind of consider that you never know when you're going to need that relationship again. And I think for me, um, you know, as a creative, as a, as a film guy, it's so easy in this business to get your feelings hurt and, um, and to kind of react and to just say, I'll show you and to kind of burn the bridge on the way out and be like, I'll never talk to you again. You know, I'll see you when I'm big time. And every time you do that, it's gonna hurt you, either reputationally or you never know when you're gonna need that person again. So there's there's several people that I've always said, like I'd never work with them again, that I've gone back and I've worked with them multiple times because I needed it. And there was something that the opportunity presented that we had to work together again. And so being able to resolve those conflicts rather than react to those conflicts and to treasure the relational equity that you have built up as something that you never want to squander, you never want to take for granted. And if you can take one piece of advice from that from that interview, take this, it's a relational business and value your relationships because uh, it will benefit you. And Devon's a guy that his career attests to that. So that's the show today. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of The Storytellers. The Storytellers is a Kingdom Story Company production. It is produced by Nick Carey with production assistance from Ben and Justin Bailey. Our executive producers are Kevin Downs and Brandon Gregory. Social media for the show is run by the team at Troops and Allies, and our music is Twisted Rooster by Tommy Prophet. Special thanks to Jaron Weatherly, Evan Johnston, and our entire team at Kingdom Story Company. We have so many exciting guests coming up this season. To ensure you don't miss any of them, subscribe to Storytellers for free on YouTube at Kingdom Story Company or wherever you listen to podcasts. For exclusive first looks at our upcoming films, behind-the-scenes content, and invitations to advanced screenings, join the conversation as a Kingdom Insider at KingdomStoryCompany.com and follow us at Kingdom Story Company across all platforms. As always, thanks for joining Andrew Irwin and his friends on The Storytellers.